I'll give you a chance to turn there, but we're continuing our series on I Choose. Uh, week one, we talked about choosing God's purpose over people's popularity, and we shared a little tagline with that, that you're not going to fulfill the purposes of God if you choose to fill the, the popularity of people. And last week, we talked about surrendering control, and we choose surrender over control because the more you fear, the more you try to control, and the more you control, the more you fear, and you start this cycle. And, and I was surprised at uh, the, uh, the continuation, I guess, uh, that I saw on social media. For about two days, people were talking about toilet paper. Um, it's good to know something came out of that sermon. People remembered toilet paper. That's all right. But this morning, uh, I want to talk about a word that is, is lacking in our world, uh, regardless of age. And, and, and hear me, uh, sometimes we see generation, and, and we know that that's a, an age group. But can I tell you that there's also what we'd call a culture, which is regardless of age. There's a culture in our world that resists and tries to overthrow discipline at every twist and turn. The, it, this hasn't changed. Jesus saw this. He says, I've had to overcome the world, not the planet. He didn't need to overcome the planet. He made the planet. What he had to overcome was a world system that resists his ways, that's rebellious in its nature. And he tells us this over and over again, that the carnal mind, our flesh mind, without Jesus Christ, it's an enemy of God, and it's always going to resist, and it's always going to fight against him. And there's no way to bring those two together except through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. But we see that word sometimes, and I think many of us equate it to punishment. And I'm here to tell you that discipline is not punishment. Punishment is punishment. Discipline is training. Discipline is learning to follow. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. When he said, I want to make you my disciple, he didn't say, okay, everybody bend over and grab your ankles and went and got a stick and began to beat them. What he did was he said, you follow me and then I'll make you. You follow me, I'll lead you. You follow me, I'll make you into what I, I think you're supposed to be if you follow me. And this is the discipline of it, of learning to follow him, even when it's hard, even when they're tired, even when they're confused, even when they don't understand what are you going to do, and I, I don't fully get it. Keep following, keep following, keep following. And there was a reason to it, because sooner or later, I won't be here, and you will have had to learn my training when I'm gone, because I'm going to expect you to train others after me. And that was their job that after Jesus ascended into heaven, they now had to train other people and baptize them and teach them and this whole process. That's why you and I are here today. Now, why I say that is, if this process stops, if we stop being disciples, bad news for the church, bad news for the world. And I can even give you a biblical example. God's called Moses. Moses finds Joshua, right? Trains him, leads him, makes him the next in command. Who did Joshua train up? He didn't. And then the Bible moves into what we call the book of Judges. Since there was no leader at the time, God just had to raise up people to respond to crisis. And it was a very strange time. A lot of lawlessness, a lot of bad things happened. 
Can I tell you that we already have a judge, that is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't need to raise up judges today. What he needs is disciples that will follow him and follow his word. And you just keep doing it whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not, even whether you agree with it or not. That's the beauty of it. And, and I, love, I love film and movies. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Karate Kid. But here's this kid. He's not Oriental. He's, he's like from New Jersey or something. And he moves to the West Coast. And he's getting picked on, and he's getting bullied. And uh, a little Japanese man named Mr. Miyagi kind of takes him under his wing. And Daniel says, well, I want to learn some karate. Now, Daniel's been taking karate by reading a little book, and he's just sitting in his room, kicking, 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 and thinking he knows karate. But he ends up coming into uh, confrontation with guys that are in a karate class, and they end up beating him up pretty good. So Mr. Miyagi says he'll teach him karate. But he does it in a very different way. He doesn't take him out to a class and teach him all these stances and moves. He brings him out and he says, okay, are you ready? Yep, okay, sand the floor. If you've ever seen the movie, he gives him two little hand sanders and he starts sanding the deck. Great, you all done with that? Good, come back tomorrow morning. Okay, tomorrow morning karate lesson, paint the fence. Done with that? Wax the cars. And, he, and he, Daniel's not getting it. See, he's being trained, but he doesn't know he's being trained. And so they, they have this confrontation, and he says, you're not teaching me anything. And so he says, show me, sand the floor. So Daniel doesn't get it. He starts to get down. And he says, no, no, no. He just wants him to show him the movements. And all that muscle memory that had been built in became karate. <laughs> God is doing the same thing with us. We may not see the training, but can I tell you that Bible that you hold is the training that leads our spirit to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And it may look different for you. Not everybody has the same calling. Not everybody has the same gifting. But the reality is the set of instructions is still right here, and we don't have a different set of instructions. You don't go to a kung fu instructor to learn karate. Right? And you don't go to karate classes and then say, well, I don't want to do that. Then why are you here? And the reality, let's get the, the hump of this, the hard part, out of the way. There's way too many Christians in a culture, not an age, a culture today, that says, I want salvation, I want Jesus Christ, but I don't want to do it like that. And they think they can prove it. And they say, well, I can do this and do this and do this and do this and still be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not if you're going exactly against what he says. You're not following him. You're following the world and calling yourself a Christian. You see, that's what was happening with Daniel. He thought he knew karate because he'd got a little book someplace and was picking it up and, and standing the right way and trying to kick and trying to kick. And then he met guys that really knew karate and he got beat. And there's many Christians today that are feeling like they're failures, feeling like they can't do it. And the only reason, I'm telling you, the only reason you're feeling like you can't do it, you're not following the directions. You're trying to do your thing and then trying to do church. And church doesn't change your life. Jesus Christ changes your life. 
Jesus Christ opens your heart to his word, and then his word begins to change your life. This is the instructions. And if you don't want to follow it, then expect there's going to be some disconnect in, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't seem to be working. You know why? You're not following directions. Try it sometime. Take it out of the spiritual. Go to the store. Buy a cake mix. Pour it all out on the counter. Throw away the box. And don't follow directions. Just wing it. Guess at what the temperature should be. Guess at whether you need to add an egg or not. Guess at whether you need to add oil or not. Guess at how long you should bake it. And see what happens to that cake. It's not a spiritual thing. It's designed to have directions. But we... As a people, especially West Coasters, we tend to want to shrug off direction and discipline. I can do my thing my own way, and who are you to? But this isn't my word to you. This is God's word to you. And if you want to shrug it off, you've got that choice. You've got free will. But then please don't whine when it turns out poorly for you. And the beauty is, if you haven't been following his word, today's a day to start fresh. To say, Lord, I've been ignoring it. I know there's areas where I'm not even following it. In fact, I didn't even want to follow it. But today, I want to come back, and I want to follow the directions. Guess what? And he's just like, yes, there's no shaking of the head. There's no pointing of fingers. There's just a, a willingness. Thank you for coming back to my word. What have you got to lose? Think about that for just a minute. What have you got to lose with lining your world up with Jesus' word? What would you lose? What could you possibly, possibly lose that would be worth losing when we line ourselves up with his word and live how we're supposed to live? That's a great question. But it doesn't mean it's not going to rub you wrong because you have a heart and you have a will, and there's things in here that he's trying to teach us, and it's going to make us mind, make our minds up, are we going to follow this, or are we not? Are we actually going to do what the master says? Are we actually going to follow the program, or are we not? And it may feel weird. I remember the first time I, I tried to golf. I'd never golfed before in my life, and I said, I'm going to go golf. How hard can it be? Now, you think with a big driver club, I mean, now they're about the size of a half of a bowling ball, <laughs> there'd be no way to miss a little ball on a tee. <laughs> but you'd be surprised. <laughs> and then to steer that ball where it's supposed to go, you'd be surprised how difficult that is. To know what club. I didn't know what club was what. I just knew there was different sizes. And I just wanted to make sure I was holding the skinny end. <laughs> No instruction, no understanding. So I'm up there trying to swing at this thing like it's a baseball. And can I tell you, that ends up with a lot of slices. And I get a lot of yardage, but most of it is behind me. (laughs) And can I tell you, you can play golf for years and years and years thinking, I don't need instruction. And maybe sooner or later you start hitting that ball. But if nobody tells you how far things are, if you don't know how far you can hit, if you don't know your clubs, it's going to be a pretty miserable game, especially if you play with others. Now, you play for yourself, and you don't keep a score, and you just want to go out and whack a ball around so you get some frustration out. You'll have a grand time. 
You want to play with some other people that are saying, hey, you're already at minus 12, just pick up the ball. I mean, think about this. They're saying, hey, what's your score? I remember that somebody asked me, you know, what's your score? And I'm thinking, uh, I, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm going out with guys that know how to play. And they're talking about, well, you know, I'll, I'll get a 36 on the front nine. And I'm just trying to stay under 100 on the front nine. Not the whole 18. I'm just trying to stay under 100 on the nine. And I remember playing with a, a certain man that some of you know, and, and he showed incredible patience. He's not the most patient man. But after my fifth putt, he said, it's close enough. Just pick it up. He was on a time scale, you know. He knew how long it took to play golf, and mine was going to be about three times that long. And it's not because I wasn't willing. I wanted to be out there. But I had not read anything about golf. I hadn't received any instruction about how to hold it or how I'm supposed to have my stance or how to use the different clubs. I, I was completely ignorant about that. And maybe that's how you feel about God's Word. That's why you need to read it. And that takes discipline. That takes settling in. And, and it's not about memorization. It's not about the checklist. It's about reading it for you. I want to say that again. It's about reading it for you so that your life will be a blessed life. It's not reading it because somebody else told you to read it or reading it because you feel guilty because those are different things. And I can prove that to you. When you sit in an airplane and the lady's telling you all the safety instructions, she said there's a packet in front of you in the seat, how many of you pull that out and begin to read it? But how many of you, when the plane starts to, and he says you got to prepare for impact, do you think it's a little late to pull the packet out? And I've seen this as a pastor, that people wait until their life is going down, and then they grab this book. But where do I start? God, I, I, need, I need to know what to do. you got to tell me what to do. And they flip it open. What do I do, Lord? And Judas hung himself. Thanks. <laughs> this is our guidance. This is our true north. The Bible is God's word. And it is true. And it is wonderful. And it is for you. It's not there to mislead you, but it will make you look different than the world around you. And you've got to decide, do I want to look like the world or do I want to look like a child of God? Do you want to act like you know karate or do you actually want to know karate? That's the big question. So join me in Romans chapter 7. We're going to find that a man in the Bible named Paul who... He was a very religious man. God got a hold of him, turned his life around, and he, he, he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. But he didn't always have it all together, and I love his honesty. We're going to begin in verse 25, Romans 7, 25. Look what he says. Or 7, 15, sorry, 7, 15. 
what I'm doing, I don't understand. Have you been there before? <laughs> For what I will or what I want to do, that I don't practice. And what I hate, that's the thing I do. And if you've ever felt that way, especially as a Christian, know that you are in good company because this is the Apostle Paul, chosen by God, set apart by Jesus Christ, and yet he himself says, there's things I know I'm supposed to do, and I don't do them. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, somehow I end up doing those things, and I hate myself for it. There's things I've left undone that I shouldn't have left done, and there's things I've done that I should have never done, and I hate how, how I feel about all of this. I end up doing what I hate. Skip down to verses 18 and 19 with me. For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, not his spirit, nothing good is in there. For to will is present in me. I, I have the ability in me. But how to perform what is good, I don't find it. You see, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's, it's making the choice to do it and then having the will to do it. You ever heard that saying, where there's a will, there's a way? Many of us have a will. Lord, I want to please you. I want to have a good life. But I can't find it in me to, to, to find how to do that. And it's usually not about lack of education. Maybe in your case it is. Maybe you just didn't know. But what happens is when faced with my way or his way, we usually choose my way. When God says, nope, that's not the way we do it. Verse 19, for the whole, for the good that I will to do, the things I want to do, I don't do it. And he's really saying, and I don't know why, but somehow I end up not doing it. But the evil I don't want to do, this is the thing that I practice. Now remember, this is the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and he's so honest that he should give us some hope and also give us the ability to stand a little straighter this morning and say, you know what? If he can admit that, I can admit that. But if it's also not his excuse, then it's also not my excuse. And we all know we do things we shouldn't do. And we all know there's things that we should be doing that we're not doing. And you can either feel guilty and whine and complain and, and withdraw from God about that. Or you can just declare it this morning and say, Lord, I know there's some areas that I need to fix up. And I need your grace and your Holy Spirit power to push me through this. And one's proactive and one is just stepping back and stepping back. Because what happens if we're not careful, we'll just stop reading portions that convict us. And we'll say something like this, I know I'm supposed to make disciples. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to fill in the blank, but now I go to church. And going to church is a good thing. But that's one of the small things he tells us to do. That's just our, quote, reasonable service. The rest of it is just trusting him that just like with Daniel, he's building faith muscle in us to keep doing these things, whether we like it or not, whether it makes us tired or not, whether it rubs against us or not. That's what God's will is designed to do is to train us. And most of the time, training isn't always pleasant. That's why it requires discipline. Let's go down to verses 24, 25 real quick. 
Look what he says. He's at the end of this. He's described how he feels, and he says, what a wretched man I am. Now, that doesn't sound like he's blessed, does it? Now, he's saved. He knows who he is. He knows who God is, and yet he says, I am a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, my my body doesn't want to obey me. My spirit's telling me I should be doing this stuff, but my body doesn't want to obey me. And the great part is he gives you the answer this morning. He gives me the answer this morning. Look what he says. What's the answer? Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I'm going to break that apart for just a second. We're not going to go full geek on this, but just break it down. Notice he doesn't say, Jesus Christ, our blessing, our Savior, our prosperity. What does he call him? Why do you think he says that? Because when he's Lord, he gets to say what is and what isn't. But when you're Lord, you decide what is and what isn't. And for many of you this morning, if you're struggling in this area, it's not a matter of church attendance, it's a matter of lordship. Who's really Lord of your life? Who really makes the biggest decisions? Who really decides if you're going to or not going to? You see, he's still giving us free will, and we talked about this last week. We need to surrender control of parts of our life. This is the process of sanctification and consecration that we say to God, I keep pulling pieces back, but I got to keep giving my life away. And until I lose my life, not kill myself, but until I lose all the stuff that wants to grab back, I'll never find real life. But when I can empty myself of me, not your identity, not who you are, not your children, not all that stuff, but that desire to keep control, as soon as we can do that, we realize it rests in the hands of one that loves us, cares for us, forgives us, and wants us to be blessed people. But as long as we've got a hold of it, it's going to be full of corruption and darkness and sin. And that's what he's saying. I've been given this life, but I keep doing the wrong things practicing the wrong things, and I'm not doing the right things because I'm going by natural thinking. He says you've got to get past that and follow the master. Now, why I use this scripture is this. Paul never saw Jesus Christ in the flesh. He had already been gone off the earth. You know what he had to follow? The disciples. Now, he met and had a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, but Jesus is gone. He's not going to be able to say, follow me anymore. He put him in touch with the disciples, and for years he had to learn and follow what the disciples taught him to do. It wasn't instant. It wasn't easy because he had to overcome a whole life of religion. Paul knew what religion was. Paul knew what keeping the rules was. But look, he's still struggling, even though here's a man that went to temple all the time. Here's a man that knew all the commandments. Here's a man that was trying to keep 633 pharisaical commandments, and yet he's saying, the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing those things. So it wasn't that he wasn't religious enough or, quote, spiritual enough. It's just a natural effect of not allowing the fullness of Jesus Christ to fill our hearts and our minds and our lives. 
There's nothing super spiritual about it. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes it just grates on me when I hear people say, oh, pastor, you're not very spiritual. I'm very spiritual, but the spiritual is practical. The deep things of God is doing the simple things of God well. And it's amazing how many people that think that they're spiritual haven't made one disciple, don't use their gifts, but what they really mean is emotional. Can I tell you that Jesus has never called us to be emotional? Ever. He's called us to be filled with the Spirit. He called us to flow in the gifts. And sometimes it's contrary to your emotions. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it scares the willies right out of you. It's not about feel good. That's why it's called discipline. Discipline rarely feels good because you're using methods and muscles you never used before. I think about when a friend of mine tried to teach me to hang on to the golf club. And he said, you got to do this crazy thing with your pinkies and you got to interlock it. And I'm like, what difference does that make? I'm just holding the club. It makes a huge difference. How I stand makes a huge difference. Just simple things. How far is the ball away? How high do I set the tee? What club do I use? Just simple choices along the way. Nothing like, nobody, you know, nobody had to say, okay, sorry, you've got to quit. But let me share just a, a funny but very frustrating moment of my life. My, my wife is a, a wonderful wife. Melissa is everything that I'm not, and I'm thankful for that. We were on vacation one time, and she decided to surprise me, so she, she got me golf lessons. <laughs> this was awesome. But also remember, I don't know anything. So my golf lesson was that I step up into a, a cage, and the guy is going to videotape me and videotape my swing. I feel so sorry for this guy to this day <laughs> to have to have seen that. Because I don't know what my swing is like. I can't see how I'm doing it. <laughs> but here's the, I'm all over the place, and the balls are going ping, ping. And I'm just trying to hit the ball. I, I'm not thinking about, I didn't know I could steer it. I still don't know if I can steer it. All I'm trying to do is hit that thing. Now, here comes the frustrating part. He comes down after we've been up there about 30 minutes. I'm sure he's laughing inside. He was very professional, but he didn't laugh at me and just say, uh, hand me the club and find another sport. That's probably what he should have said. But he takes me over to a video screen, and he says, now let's compare... You're gonna, I'm going to show you your swing on the right. Are you ready for this? And I'm going to show you Tiger Woods' swing. You think there might be a difference? I don't know. Now, why this is instructful for us this morning is God's not comparing you to Tiger Woods or Billy Graham or to me or anybody else. He's only comparing you to you. And he likes your swing, but he still says, if you want to do the best, follow my plan. 
Follow it the best you can in proportion to your faith. Follow me and I will make you into what you can be. Quit following me so you can become something you want to be. You start following me and I'll make you into what you should be. Because he loves you. He knows your gifts because he made you. Now the problem is we live in an instant world and discipline takes time. <laughs> and we realize this. You, you've got the, the pain of obeying now or the pain of consequences later. We see this on the news. In the last several months, we've seen this. I don't know what the problem is. When the police tell you to put up your hands and drop the weapon, you've got the pain of obeying now, or you've got the pain of being shot. And then they say, well, I don't know why they had to shoot him, because he wasn't listening to the police, and he wouldn't put down the knife. Two simple things. Put your hands up, put the knife down. Everybody understood it. He didn't want to do it. Blam. And we've all seen this. You know something you should have done and you didn't want to have the pain then, but you're going to have that pain later with the consequences that come. The pain of studying now for those of you in school. That's a real pain when everybody else is having fun. How much is the pain of retaking that class later? Or retaking your year, and now you're a super senior. The pain of saying no to temptations now. Or the pain of trying to break that addiction years later. And God would spare us all this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says something incredibly edifying and freeing. He says that there's no temptation that's taken you except for what is common to man. It's very common. What you're experiencing is nothing new. But he says God is faithful, and with that temptation, he'll provide a means of escape so that you can bear it. Now, it may not look like fun, but like I'm saying, when you're at that party, when you're at that place, when you're at that moment where you've got a decision and God's blinking the escape route, that's probably not cool and probably not convenient, but it is the way out. He's provided the means of escape, but you still have to take it. Right? The problem is we feel the cultural press to conform. We feel like, oh, I can't. I might be rejected. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be. Then, then know that you're going to face the consequences. But I gave you the means to get out. And I hate to insert, I won't say it's politics, but it's the culture of our world. I don't know if you've been seeing it, but now we have these commercials on TV that they've started up again showing children of various ages talking about HPV, human papillomavirus. And they're putting all the guilt back on the parents. Parents, mom, dad, didn't you know you could have got me vaccinated at 11, at 12, because most people get over this, but now I have cancer. And can I, can I share some real truth with you? This is a lie right from the devil. The only way you get HPV, and parents, if you have young kids, don't fall for this lie. The only way that you get HPV is passing it from mother to child during childbirth. So if mom, if you didn't have it, your child doesn't get it. You want to know why kids are getting it? Unprotected sex. That's the only way this virus is passed. 
And they're talking back to the parents. Didn't you know? What they should have taught them was morals. Not gotten them a vaccine. They didn't need a vaccine. They needed to learn how to control their bodies, but that requires discipline. And these are the things we're facing today. Well, don't have discipline. Just take the pill. Get the vaccination. Don't have to worry about that. If you would have some discipline, you wouldn't need those things, and you'd live a better life anyway. There's no advantage to multiple sexual partners. None at all. There's no advantage to sex before marriage. None at all. It should be saved within the confines of what God meant it to be so it'd be meaningful and it'd be binding and incredible. But we change that. We move off from his direction. Moving on. Discipline at its base is just choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Discipline is choosing what do you want now versus what do you want most. And usually they're separate things. You've got something now, but then you forfeit the long-term reward. Or you wait and you get that long-term reward. Hebrews 12, look at this. This is right out of God's Word. The Lord disciplines. Now remember, it's not punishment, right? The Lord disciplines those He loves. Do you see what He's saying? I love you so much. I want such a great life for you that I'm not willing to let you be undisciplined. So when things get going out of whack, I'm going to bring discipline into your life. I'm going to bring in some guardrails because the undisciplined life never ends well. It never ends well. Notice what he goes on to say. He punishes, after this, each one he accepts as a child. Now, again, sometimes it's not God pulling out a belt. <laughs> but sometimes the punishment is, you didn't learn that lesson, I guess we need to have you go through it again. <laughs> and again. <laughs> and again. Until you learn the discipline. Right? It's not physical corporal punishment. I don't believe God has given you cancer. I don't believe he's broken up your marriage. What I do believe is he's given you an obstacle to say, okay, you didn't do it last time. You keep trying to skip it. You keep trying to go around it. I'm going to bring it up again until you learn to be disciplined. And it feels like punishment. Why can't I get past this? I've been praying. I've been, how about we actually just yield? Okay, Lord. I know what you want. I know when I'm supposed to do it. And this time I'm going to do it. God sees discipline not as a negative thing. It's a useful, edifying, and needed thing. And parents, if you love your children, discipline them. Train them in the way they should go. And it's not the way the world says they should go. If you want your children to be happy, let them do what they want. You want them to have a great life? Discipline them. Discipline them. Because it looks the opposite. When you're a kid and all the other kids don't have to be home at 10 o'clock, man, you're such a bad parent and the other kids get to do what they want. Well, in about five years, when you get to go visit your friends in jail... you'll think that your life is pretty good because they didn't think they had to listen or have authority. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul continues. He says, I'm running with a purpose in every step that I'm doing. I'm not just shadow boxing. And let me understand. He's saying, I'm not just practicing. I'm not just beating the air. I discipline my body like an athlete. And he's not talking about going to the gym, folks, right? I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, now look at this. This is Paul. This is a guy who healed people, established churches, many missionary journeys. The guy that the Holy Spirit allowed him to write most of the New Testament. He is the authority on church. And look at what he says. If I don't train my body, I may be disqualified. Melissa was talking about the Olympics this morning. And man, it always makes me cringe. Ah. And I hope you hear the illustration this morning. Men have trained for four years. Women have trained for four years to run around the track and hand off a baton, right? Four years! One drop of the baton. The whole team disqualified. They didn't have to stop and pick it up and they got a longer time. They're instantly Done. Even worse, you want to talk about God's Word? You step out of your lane. I'm just running, and I'm looking back for the baton, and when I do, I step into the other guy's lane instantly. Disqualified. Now, nobody complains about the Olympic Committee being narrow-minded and intolerant. Isn't that amazing? But when we put this into practice in our lives, the world says that we're intolerant and narrow-minded. But God says, here's the boundaries. If you're not careful, you keep stepping outside of it, you may find yourself disqualified. And for all of you Baptists and and grace-filled people, I believe in grace. But there is the point where God, as Paul is saying, you may find yourself disqualified. You won't make it to the end. You won't be awarded. You will be out. Or it's not God's Word, right? Did He not say this right here in His Word? Did He say that there's a potential to be disqualified? And what did He say is the cause of that? Improper doctrine? Church attendance, tithing, what's he say? I didn't discipline myself. This is one of these long forgotten but so needed today. We have to become people of discipline. God's word is the standard. He says this is how wide the lane is. This is what the baton is. This is where you can hand it off. This is where you can't. You don't get to choose. I've been asked that before. Well, what's your stance on this? And I tell them my stance, which is right from the Bible. And they begin to judge me. I say, you've got to understand, this isn't my choice. This is God's Word. I don't have another choice. I don't have a preference on my own. This is God's Word on fill in the blank. Now, where He gives me leisure, I can come up with my own preference. But the reality is, he defines a lot of areas of our life that we've chosen to make very gray. And the gray areas, then we want to fight on that stuff. 
instead of the other way around. He was afraid that if he didn't stay disciplined, after he had done a great job preaching to others, he might be disqualified. So a question for you this morning. What do you want to choose, the short-term discipline or the long-term reward? I'm talking about heaven for eternity, right? I'm talking about spiritual blessings and riches that he stored up for us and God saying, well done, that will last forever. But we want to give up because somebody doesn't like us or somebody might reject us or somebody might turn away from us. Would you rather have that person turn away? Would you rather have God turn away? Short term versus long term. And what happens is we lose sight of the fact that heaven is a great reward. We lose sight that relationship with Jesus Christ is a great reward. The world has changed our hearts and minds where it's like, well, you know, I, yeah, heaven. It's going to be like nothing we've never experienced. It's going to be the best of the best. It's not just a better day here. It is the best of the best that you can't even describe. And we've weakened it and cheapened it. It's like, yeah, then you... it's a great reward. Knowledge of Jesus Christ is a great reward. And we shouldn't give up the short term for the long term. We live in an instant world. I said that, but this has trained us. And, and again, I have to be careful with this. I don't know if you have to be careful with this, but it's trained us to not have to wait. We shouldn't have to wait. I, I shouldn't have to delay myself. Uh, I shouldn't have to depend on God or upon His timing or His seasons or His Word. I, I just want to be able to do this. I just want it now. And we've seen this progression of what took a previous generation 30 years to accumulate of a house and a car and stability and the first year out of college, we think we should be able to have all of that. We have a generation that doesn't know what it's like to not have a cell phone and Netflix and the internet and a large screen TV. And they think they've got to have it. But realize, those of you that are younger, it took your parents until they were in their 30s and 40s to get those things. What I want, what I'm after, that I realize I have to discipline my body even more as I get older. And again, not the gym, but that spiritual body. I want to have a life that looks like Hebrews 11. That if they truly are a great cloud of witnesses cheering me on, that even though the Bible is finite and has been written, that somewhere somebody's saying, he did it well. He chose the long term over the short term. He didn't choose the easy way out. He chose to do what I asked him to do, and he did it well. Because there's a lot of people that can do something short term, but the long term is a whole different matter. Throw a couple terms at you here real quick before we wrap this up. And maybe you've heard this. This is this is psychology now. This is the 
the whole reason we're, we're kind of in this mess. We're going to talk about delayed gratification or deferred gra- gratification. See, when you live in an instant world, nothing should be delayed, right? We now have fast food. And even now, fast food's not fast enough, right? And yet, I've never been to the place that serves instant food. <laughs> we also live in a time where things aren't what they say. I, I was at Walmart just the other day, and I swear to God, instant pop-up tent. What does instant mean to you? I'm not so sure that 10 minutes means instant. But if it normally took you an hour, then 10 minutes is instant, right? (laughs) But do you see how they're selling these things to us? Instant. No wait. I mean, all of this, and it's beginning to seep into our thought process. And yet God has a very different thought process. He says that a thousand years is like a day to him. And his ways are not our ways. He doesn't think like we think. He doesn't see the way that we see things. He doesn't feel that pressure. But delayed gratification is the ability to resist the temptation of the immediate reward and wait for a later reward. Generally, delayed gratification is associated with resisting a smaller but more immediate reward in order to receive a larger or more enduring reward. I remember seeing this, it's on, on YouTube if you want to look it up, two kids that they're teaching delayed gratification, and so they bring out this food, one of them was like marshmallows, and they're like, okay, now you can have these three marshmallows now, or if you wait three minutes, I'll give you, and they had a bigger quantity. And the kids, you could see them wrestling with this because the, the marshmallows are just sitting there. You can eat them. It, nothing. Nothing bad happens. But if you eat them, you don't get the big reward. And it's amazing to see the thoughts of a child. One of them that I loved is that one kid just ate one. Now, he didn't eat all three. He just ate one. And he thought since he didn't eat all three that he still should get the reward. Not an easy topic this morning. Discipline is a hard thing for us. But it's also part of the process of Christianity. And we haven't linked it yet, but I'm going to right here as we close so it'll be fresh in your memory. Do you realize that discipline is linked to the last spiritual fruit, which is self-control? How would you have self-control without discipline. You can't. 